A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Josh Brown, it's a fresh, lovely week in the gaming industry, and we thought, because there's very little actually going on in regards to news and stuff, that we do our games of the year so far. Now, this is an entirely subjective list, different, you might say, than the one that is already on whatculture.com, on the website, and on the YouTube channel, where I attempted to approximate some sort of more objective rationale, um, which is to say that on that list, Horizon Forbidden West belongs, and on my personal <laughs> list, it's not even in the top ten. So what you could say is that instead of you know trying to take an aggregate of the general consensus of the office, this time, yes. we have both chose woken up and then chosen violence. Is that, is that what you're trying <laughs> yes, to say? Yes, it's, uh, it's Monday. It's the wind-up. We always do whatever the latest video game stories are that's going on in the industry, or we just wind each other up about some sort of game that we're playing or whatever the hell's going on in our collective lives. And this particular day, that's a game of the air conversation. Now, I don't know what your top ten is. You don't know what mine is. So we'll just reveal them to each other and we'll see how we go. And um, The only thing we decided before recording was that we would start with my top ten, my number ten, rather, which is Trek to Yomi. Which is, is a game that you that don't like, like at all. That is hilarious, right? <laughs> this, I'll tell you why this is really funny uh, before we like. get into it. Because Trek to Yomi is on my list, despite me disliking it. Really? And that is indicative of how many disappointing games I have played oh. so far this year. But uh, <laughs> before I slate it, uh-huh. well, not slate it. I'm, I'm being uh, facetious. Yes. But uh, yes, please tell me why this has come in at number 10. Because I kind of suspect that that might be higher for you. Well, that's, I just think, and that's the thing, I just think that it's, an, I think it's incredibly well made. I get the uh, the qualms with the combat. It's quite a slow combat model, and it isn't that responsive, but I think that they, they are offsetting how well choreographed everything is if you play into the sort of slow response times. And so for me, like, honestly, my head goes to words like Amacula. I think it's gorgeously shot. I think it has one of the most identifiable visual styles and cinematographical styles in gaming history. I think you can put that in front of people, and nearly everybody will go, oh my god, I've never seen that before. In, in gaming history. Um, and it was it reminded me of what Ghost of Tsushima was going for in regards to the Kurosawa stuff, but just do, it's what that should have been. Right. Um, and obviously in uh, Trek to Yomi's case, they're able to go with that idea from the beginning rather than just have a black and white filter on something and that be the Ghost of Tsushima's, Tsushima's attempt at old school Japanese cinema. And so I just, I loved it. I love every single second of it. I like I, It takes a minute to get used to the combat. That's always the thing with this game is that it does have this weird feel to the combat and you're pushing X or A uh, to turn around. It's like side-scrolling thing so you're sort of being able to take on multiple enemies is a weird beat like it yeah. sort of it does take a, a, a bit to get used to but it didn't take me that long and I also didn't start on hard like you did I finished the game on like medium or whatever the middle difficulty was and then I went back in on the hard mode and went oh this is why Josh hated this because it's so <laughs> unforgiving on uh, on that difficulty but I just love everything about it and I think that um, it's mainly for the art style um, but I absolutely grew to love the combat like just right. like deflect a guy kill a guy like spin around 
around, deflect another guy, all backed by some of the coolest like individual screenshots, individual framings that I've ever seen in gaming. I love it. Well, I need to do a bit of context right now because <laughs> it's actually on my list at mm. number nine. It is my ninth right, right. favorite game of the year. However, I need to clarify that with my top 10. Mm. I have eight games that I really love and number 10 and number uh, nine are kind of the best of the rest. The uh, things that are on here just because we decided arbitrarily to make it a 10. We should do a 10. And like I said, that's not because I haven't played enough games. I played a lot of games this mm. year. It's just that, you know, like I said, so many of these have been disappointing or for me, not quite the immaculate experience to steal a word from yourself that I wanted them <laughs> to be. And Trek to Yomi is one of those mixed bag games. And spoilers for an upcoming What Culture Gaming list, but it'll Ooh. be on my most disappointing games well, of the year the as well. But that said, it still deserves a place on this list because of some of the things you mentioned there. Yes, visually, from a presentational standpoint, from a story standpoint, this thing can be stunning. You know, mm. like you said, the animation, the fidelity when it comes to the animations in combat is also incredible. For me, it's just let down by that base combat. Yep. And that was a hurdle that I couldn't quite overcome to love it as much as I wanted to love it going in. However, I fully hold my hands up and say this has some incredible qualities. And if you look at a trailer for the game, or if you even look at screenshots for the game yep. and think this will be for me, there's a good chance that it will be. And I would definitely recommend people giving it a go because, you know, you might uh, hit with the combat way more than I did. I think I didn't do myself any favors coming off so many precise and tight action <laughs> games like Sifu, which yes. I'm sure we'll get to at some yes. point, And, you know, Sekiro and all of these great From Software games and then going to this title and then feeling like in comparison yeah. uh, the combat wasn't as tight, wasn't as polished but it was never going to be because you know the budget of this game is nowhere near the level of even the games that I just mentioned It's quite interesting because they have gone back and patched a lot of stuff too, like they got out on their Twitter and just said look we are going to patch the response times of a lot of the parries and we are going to tighten stuff up I didn't think they did that enough to make the likes of a hard mode more enjoyable it is still quite a sluggish combat system I just feel like playing into that, you can have fun with the choreography. And I think that I quite like the, the fact that all the sword swipes and the parry systems, the, the windows to dodge are so huge that, and they're so slow in terms of a lot of the swipes themselves that you can just drink in the overall frame itself. So I just I just love it as this just way of, um, like I said, like approximating old school Japanese um, cinema and just making it playable. And so like some of my the coolest fights that I've had this year have been in that game. And the, the places that game goes as well, like it goes, yeah. if you know what Yomi is, um, obviously, like, I mean, well, it's not even a spoiler to say what Yomi is. It's the underworld. Um, I didn't know that game was going to do that. I didn't know what Yomi was beforehand. I thought it was a village, but <laughs> it's not. And um, and so, like, the whole sort of, I don't know, second, third, sorry, the, yeah, the middle third and the back third are all sort of more demonic, and you're fighting more demonic enemies and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I love the, the places they go, and they only expand the visuals. And so it's a lot of talk about Trek to Yomi, but I, I absolutely love that thing. It was um, I felt like they nailed what they were going for, um, and it's, it's weird. As much as they've patched it, they haven't fully tightened up. They haven't fully sped up the combat. So I think they're going for that whole sort of sweeping feel of, like, old-school Japanese cinema, which... Yeah is just nectar. 100%. I mean, you, I think you might mention on a podcast, and maybe mm. it was just in private, in a conversation to me, but there are times <laughs> when the camera sweeps around to the next scene in one of these games, and you see the landscape, and it looks like a photoreal yes. environment captured through the lens of a 1950s black and white film camera. You totally. know, like, it, it is convincing on, uh, on a level
level that I didn't expect it to be convincing on. Because like you said, I, I thought they would do the classic approach of just slapping a kind of cheap looking filter <laughs> on and going, hey, it's a it's a it's Kurosawa inspired. Yeah. But no, they've like they've properly kind of dug into the granular granularities of the mm. presentation to give it that extra extra edge. The thing that I love as well, final point on Trek to Yomi, is I love that it make it feels like a production team from the 50s placed a camera down and just said, okay, we've got all these marks to hit, um, you guys just keep doing your thing in the background, you know, it's shot on location or whatever, and we'll just fill the frame with tons of NPC animations, especially at the beginning of the game or whenever you go to the various villages, um, that just made it feel, it just felt like controllable cinema, and I just love that side of it. Uh, what is your number 10? Well, my number 10 absolutely will be replaced by the time the year end comes around and we talk <laughs> Talk about game of the year because like i said this is the best of the rest mm. and the worst of the best of the rest <laughs> um, is dying light 2 now this oh, is a God. game whose story blows whose main campaign is very disappointing <laughs> but at the core of it it's still dying light and right. if you go into the title kind of knowing how to get the fun out of it you can still have a lot of fun mm. you can still have a lot of fun in this kind of bigger open world with even more zombies this time around doing side quests, you know, going off on your own to do some kind of player-driven exploration. If you ignore certain parts of the game, mm. it can be a lot of fun. And it's just a shame that it was so bloated uh, that it ultimately became more disappointing than it was good for me. But I won't spend a lot of time on that because I think <laughs> if you're interested in it, you should check it, check it out. You might enjoy it more than me. And uh, there are certainly good parts to it, but that will absolutely be replaced, yeah, I hope, I think by the time the game comes, uh, yeah. year end comes around. Well, we did our video on Dying Light 2 as well, where it was like, this is such a mixed bag. The yeah. good parts are solid and enjoyable and playable. It reminds me of Ghostwire Tokyo, which that would be one of my most disappointing games of the year. Um, and we talked about it when we did the main podcast version of this with like our initial sort of sweeping stuff of best, worst, most disappointing and whatever. But it is one of those games. It's one of those big open world games with a ton of stuff to do. And it's as enjoyable as each individual finds that, which I think me and you are getting very tired of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I wonder how much that reflects the overall um, audience of gamers. Um, so to move on, we'll do, we'll do tens and nines quite quickly because then we can get into the meat of the stuff. And your initial pick, like you said, was a top eight anyway. Um, so my number nine, this isn't to discount my picks. I love Trek to Yomi. Yeah. And what I'm about to talk about, and my number nine is WWE 2K22, uh, which is just, I've not had any fun with a wrestling game in a long time. I've not had any fun with wrestling in a long time. Um, it took AEW's return, or rather CM Punk's return to AEW. Uh, last year um, to make me go, ah, I used to love this. I right. used to love wrestling. Like, good wrestling is brilliant. I remember there's a guy called uh, John Moxley who wrestles for AEW, and he said there's a wrestling fan inside all of us if you get the right level of match, you get the right level of athleticism, choreography, the stunt side of it. Like, oh, my God, did they just pull that off? Sometimes the violent side, violent side of it. Um, but it's understanding that it can be immaculate stage fighting. That's why I love it. Like, it's like, oh, my God, they're pulling it off live. Um, and so to translate a lot of that into the WWE game, um, which is hilarious because I'm not playing it as a WWE <laughs> game, 2K22 has one of the best customization suites in gaming history, and uh, it's all fan-funded, like it's all fan-focused, uh, or fan-fueled is the frame that I, uh, the phrase that I want, because people have just created the entire AW roster, and that game lets you have AW arenas and the belts and, like, everything. And even the devs um, are clearly AW fans because a lot of AW wrestlers' entrances are in here. They're just called something else. Mm -hmm. So um, it was that sort of, like, wink and nod thing of like we know what you're going to do with this um, you're going to make Kenny Omega in a WWE game or whatever and so it's just been the AW game of my dreams uh, for the vast majority <laughs> nearly every move and person you would care about is in there um, and I've loved it and I, I, it's definitely personally boosted by my current love of wrestling of course um, and revitalization of wrestling but I do think they've nailed the fundamentals like 
Um, me and you both played a lot of wrestling games when we were growing up. Yep. And one of my last ones would have been SmackDown vs. Raw 2008 or 9 or maybe not even that late, to be honest. Something in the 2000s. And I would always check back in when 2K took over because a lot of people talked about 2K13, I think was the one with Punk on the front. Uh, maybe 2K14. And I would always check back in with them because the gameplay was always great. And the 2010s wrestling games weren't great. They were largely terrible. And they were only getting worse and worse and worse. And then the general buzz around 2K22 was like, they might be good again. It mm -hmm. might be all right. And it is. It's brilliant. It's it's like the first good playing wrestling game in like 10 years. Yeah. So like, there's not much more to say about that. I don't know where you're at on wrestling overall. No, honestly, right? It's pretty good. Similarly to you, that I've always, I've always wanted to check back in. I've mm. never had the kind of financial inclination, let's say, mm. to spend money to justify that curiosity. It is a dumb amount of money. <laughs> However, if WWE 2K2022 would ever come to, you know, PlayStation Plus or a Game Pass, I would absolutely download it and check it out <laughs> because I want to relive my wrestling youth, Scott Telford. I want to get the memories of, you know, SmackDown versus Raw, Here Comes the Pain, mm. uh, just bring it, all of those games that you referred to as well. Uh -huh. uh, and if it's anything like that, or if I can at least, you know, brute force it into being like that, like you, you totally described can. with the character creation and whatnot, then um, yeah, it's definitely something I would be intrigued in uh, checking out. Just mm -hmm. it would have to come down in price a little bit considerably. No, the, uh, yeah, the premium price point is ridiculous, um, like in terms of just asking you to dive in kind of thing. But I do, the, the main reason that I love the gameplay is that it's more arcadey. It's the most arcadey it's felt in a long time. They've overhauled the control scheme. Like you can just go and have fun with it. You don't have to worry about all the playing to the crowd stuff or whatever. Um, you do get more points if you do that stuff. But they, they find a good line of how a video game of wrestling should sit. Yeah. Where it's an arcade brawler that doubles as a showmanship thing. And if you pull off a big twist and 540 splash or whatever, then you'll get more points later to then buy more wrestlers with or whatever it is. But yeah, I've not played a single WWE match on that game. Um, it's been the <laughs> AEW game for me. So um, so there's that. What's your number nine? My number nine was Trek to Yomi. So oh, I'm it was, going to, wasn't uh, it? I knew that. That's fine. I'll skip past to my Do your number, number eight. eight. Yes. My number eight is Shadow Warrior 3, oh. which is a game that I probably wouldn't recommend buying for full price because it is, it is very short. I mm -hmm. finished it in, you know, four or five hours. Uh, there's a kind of sparse amount of content in there, but what content in there is mostly very good. Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed, especially the first couple of hours of this game. Yeah. I really enjoyed Shadow Warrior 1. I didn't play 2, and I was looking forward to this third game to see how they had improved on the core FPS combat, because mm -hmm. if you don't know, this is like an old-school first-person shooter that is clearly now inspired by the likes of very Eternal. Doom now, very right? Doom. So it's, it's focused on, like, these really um, tight skirmishes with a bunch of um, imaginative enemies that all have unique weak spots. You've got a bunch of different weapons. Some of them are incredibly inventive. Others are your classic, you know, shotguns, pistols, and what have <laughs> you. Um, so you're essentially just doing these really tight combat encounters where you're either platforming to and from them. And once you're in there, you kind of, you know, you're sealed off from the next area until you defeat all of these monsters mm. in the most stylish way possible. I miss and games like that, to be honest. Yeah, well, that yeah. was exactly it, man. Like, we, we talked about on the podcast maybe last week about yep. how we've kind of been erring towards these kinetic, mechanical for me mechanics focused games uh -huh. and Shadow Warrior 3 was a perfect continuation of that mentality for me. It is 
pristine in terms of its game feel, and it looks beautiful looks gorgeous, as well. Yeah. I, I was so surprised at how well this game kind of presented itself from a graphical standpoint, because Shadow Warrior 1, which came out a long time ago now, mm. was, a, was a great kind of throwback FPS, but it, it was very much a kind of budget FPS at the time. Yeah, yeah. And this still has a lot of like like the, those telltale signs um, in terms of some of the animations and whatnot, but if you just kind of booted this game up and you looked at it, like mm. these the vistas are spectacular, the areas that you're fighting in are often, you know, incredibly vibrant and dynamic, which is exciting. It does get repetitive after a few hours. I wish they could have done a, a little bit more with the kind of variety in the gameplay itself. But currently, I think this is, it might have just gone off PS Plus, I think, but I managed okay. to play it through that service. That's where I just played it. That was only a few days ago. Totally. Uh, so if you can get it, I think, on a service, you know, like Game Pass, like PS Plus, mm. or you can get it like quite discounted, I think you'd have a good time if you're looking just for a turn your brain off kind of <laughs> mindless FPS because it absolutely excels at I think, being that. Yes, the, the turning your brain off part has to apply to the cutscenes and the writing. I don't mind that stuff. Yeah. Um, but they like the Shadow Warrior series has always had a very sort of self-aware, dumb, quirky kind of sense of humor. And I think that's, I mean, the main dude's called Lo Wang. Yes. So it's like, you know what you're getting in for. But um, it's a massive, for me, it was just like, I'm so proud of Devolver. I sort of look at them as the small little team that could, and they've only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is the thing, like you said, from a graphical standpoint, where I'm like, this is this is like AAA. You could have a screenshot of this right next to Doom Eternal. Totally. And you would be like, that's just, it's, the same production budget. Um, and so I was kind of just championing um, Devolver being able to get this out there. I feel like more people should check it out. It feels like because it was tied to the PlayStation Plus release, it didn't really get like a wider conversation around it. It was just, oh, it's kind of on there if you want it, whatever, whereas it does deserve that wider audience. And yes. the opening level is like a first-person version of God of War 3's opening level. <laughs> it is, like right, yeah. riding giant creatures as you take on, take on all these different enemies and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's great. I think that, like you said, when it comes to kinetic action, like modern gaming can do that better than ever. Like it can load stuff faster. It can respond to you faster. And um, yeah, I had a blast with it. I haven't finished it yet, but I've only done the, the first sort of hour, hour and a half or so. Yeah. Um, and it just goes. Like I think the opening cutscene is a stretch long, but once it get once you get going, it just flies. 100%. You know, it just, it literally does. Like you have the introductory cutscene mm -hmm. and then once you're in the actual game itself, like it doesn't let up for that five hours. <laughs> and yeah, it's short, but thankfully it, it mostly does not Obviously, it's welcome. I would have, personally, I would have preferred to have a little bit more to it, especially in the later hours, because like I said, I think it does get a little bit repetitive. Mm. Uh, however, uh, like I said, you know, in terms of the other games that are on here, uh, it might, it will probably get knocked off by the end of the year. But for now, if we're taking this as a pure mid-year you know, look back on the games that I've played. I can't deny that I had a lot of fun uh -huh. with Shadow Warrior 3. I think that's a massively valid shout. I look forward to finishing it as well. I'm going to see where it sits on mine um, once we as the year sort of rolls out. Uh, my number eight is Oli Oli World, uh, which is funny because you played the trial and I don't think it vibed with you, but that, speaking of vibes, that game was my vibe for like most of this year. Um, I just, I just loved it. I mean, I've not played the DLC yet, but um, I just used to play it every day. I love them. The music was so infectious. Like if you talk about um, an energy or a vibe to a certain in game, something that is entirely all-encompassing, whether it's the, uh, you know, the visual art style goes completely with the audio side of it and the feel of gameplay and how rewarding that stuff is. Um, I didn't love Oli Oli 1 or 2. I just didn't, I thought they were fine. Oli Oli uh, 2, I thought was all right, but it just didn't, it never got me. Yeah. And I knew once I saw this in the trailers that I was like, oh, this is such a confident step up. Like, it looks like Adventure Time. Like, it's such a great, almost Cartoon Network or Adult Swim-infused version of Oli Oli uh, as, a, as a universe that I just took to it immediately. And so I, like, I loved side-scrolling arcade stuff anyway. And if you apply a whole bunch of skateboarding mechanics, 
um, that sort of get rolled out as the game goes on, or that yeah, as, as, as everything unfolds. I loved Holly Holly World, but I know that wasn't necessarily the case for you. Uh, no, but I can fully concede that I think it's just a me thing. So I, I want to <laughs> clarify that you know I haven't bought it or anything. I just literally played the hour you trial, trial thing, version yeah. that you can get on PlayStation Plus, which is thankful because I wanted to know at least what kind of like you loved about it. Mm. And even in that hour, I, I understand, especially from the presentation standpoint, like you said, you know the mm. the colorful world, the the music, the presentation, the kind of stylistic nature of it is is really good. I loved making my character. Yes, you know that was awesome. The best part I of the changed, game. I change like all the time because right, there's okay. so many options. Like it's great. There really are. Like there's there's so much potential for you to put uh, inject your own personality into mm. that world, into that game. It was just the gameplay itself that I couldn't quite get away with because while there are a lot of options, for me that kind of side scrolling, uh, press the button at the right time, you know, express yourself within a kind of limited set of. Mm mechanics I would I would argue uh, wasn't necessarily for me if I'm having if I want if I'm playing a skateboarding game especially you know I want freedom around the world I want to have full control over where I'm going and how I'm expressing myself Mm. if that makes sense so that's why I've always gravitated more towards skate or that's the thing uh, Tony Hawk's yeah I mean the likes of skate story that's coming out is very much like a skate and then obviously skate 4 or whatever they end up calling it is like that stuff too Ollie Ollie's very like nail the run like sort of like you know grind here jump here spin here do whatever and as the game rolls out like you only get more goals like that like do a flip in this specific part of this jump or whatever um, I just grew to love that stuff but I think it's it doesn't get too unforgiving with those challenges that you can maintain that sort of chill hoppy um, soundtrack vibe to it like I just like I said that game's soundtrack as a collection of songs I think might be the best collection of songs since like Hotline for me anyway Hotline yeah. Miami um, where it's just like this is such a confident package of tracks um, well, yeah. I mean I similar to you you know I got Oli Oli one, and mm. I just I couldn't like get into it yeah. at all. I thought it was like you know too obtuse. I thought it was too unresponsive in terms of the gameplay. With this one, I at least understand how people can love it. Yeah, you know, because it is so much more responsive. The the game feel does feel so much better, and mm. like you said, it feels like way more ambitious than those original games ever were. So I would also say that even if you've tried the other games and you didn't necessarily think they were your thing, mm. I would give this one a go because it is such a step up. Oh yeah, definitely. Plus if you're on PlayStation Premium or whatever, then you can get it as a game trial and dive into it that way. And what's your number seven? My number seven is Evil Dead the Game. Oh, that's a lovely shout. I don't think this will be on many other people's (laughs) game of the year come um, December. However, anyone else who even played it. (laughs) (laughs) However, I do think it will stay on mine because I really, really love this title. I've said before that I don't usually get on with certain asymmetrical multiplayer games Mm -hmm. because I, I don't like working with others, Scott Tilford. <laughs> uh, apart from you, but everyone else. Only me. No, I, I get I get frustrated because they get me killed, and I'm like, ah, this is this is really frustrating. However, yeah. with Evil Dead, the game, it gives you way more of a sense of empowerment when you are playing as the survivors because mm. Evil Dead as a series is way more focused on kind of like action and action comedy and bombast and kind of <laughs> trying to stay alive. So when you're playing as the survivors in this game, even though, yes, you still have to you know use teamwork, otherwise you will die if you mm-hmm. split up, you have way more kind of agency in how you fight back against the person controlling the demons. Mm-hmm. And that kind of action, I thought, was way tighter than I expected. Has a lot of spectacle to it, especially when you get to the kind of insta-kill finishes, which are really That's what would, that's what get, would get me in. Yeah, yeah, and bloody and whatnot. And this is a game that I'm, I'm really excited to see the developers support with new maps and what have you over the coming months because mm. it's a game that I kind of want to 
keep uh what would you call like keep in rotation yeah Yeah. i want to keep checking it out i want it to become my casual multiplayer game Mm. and it's been that for me this year in a in a year that's kind of featured not many multiplayer games that have kind of pulled me in which is kind of weird for me no definitely not so this has been the one with evil dead i mean i discovered friday the 13th this year and i was just like because i dead by daylight never got me in um i tried friday the 13th back when it very first launched but it was so buggy back then it just didn't it didn't sell the idea of asymmetrical multiplayer and the only other one of these types of games that i got stuck into was when metal gear solid was online yeah and i liked being snake against a whole bunch of different guards and stuff and hiding in cardboard boxes and whatever and so i was always like this is a cool way to approach a game play predator Concrete Jungle as no, not Concrete Jungle, Hunting Ground yes. as well. And so I yeah, played Friday the thirteenth um this year because it was discounted down to like a pound, one pound seventy or something on the uh, the PlayStation store. And I kind of was like, oh my god, this is great. Like if it when it runs, it's great. And like obviously like the horror side of it um only infuses like, okay, I thinking like a killer or thinking like the the ways that they did the set pieces in the movies and stuff. And um Evil Dead as an IP is isn't something that I like it's ever worked for me at all, much yeah. to the chagrin of my wife who keeps trying. But at some <laughs> point I will watch more of those movies and maybe get it to work. But this feels like the most like fan focused evil dead game maybe ever totally man like yeah that is certainly an extra element to it you know there are these kind of horror games especially Mm -hmm. only work when you have a real passion for the source material you can tell that the developers working on this game uh, just really care about even the tiniest bits of Evil Dead lore. Right. They managed to incorporate characters that you wouldn't really expect. And that's what I love about good games, mm-hmm. is when a game can get you interested in its kind of wider minutiae or wider kind of media. So when I was playing through Evil Dead the game, mm-hmm. I was watching all Evil Dead movies. You know, I was going <laughs> to the TV show. It got me into the IP, which I think is... Uh, we, need of, a, we need a term for this. We do. Because I, I think we should call it bubbling. Bubbling. Yeah, bubbling. Okay. I'm bubbling with this. Because it's like, <laughs> you, you can like get like that. fully ensconced in a thing where yeah. it's like, I'm going to watch, like I did this with Sonic. I had such a Sonic bubble totally. um, for most of this. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to watch the movies. I'm going to watch the TV shows. I'm going to play the games. Like I'm only thinking about this one entertainment strand. I've just, understand, I've just understood there what bubbling means. <laughs> I thought you meant like, Boiling, you know, when, no, some, no, when no, like, like some water is bubbling. It's all around you. I like that. When yeah, you're in a bubble. Yeah, you're bubbling. Yeah, yeah, that's sick. I, 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 I like that. <laughs> bubbling with this certain thing. I think the availability of um, archives of content as well, like whether it's movie streaming services or like Game Pass or PlayStation Premium, means you can bubble with yes. certain things. I uh, wish. Yeah. Oi. Oi. <laughs> oi. Oi, oi. That's when you know I'm excited when I go, oi. <laughs> um, if they put, like, the older Evil Dead PS2 and PS1 games on uh, PlayStation oh. Plus or Game Pass, I will play through them all and have the worst time with them, but I will Bubble your arse off. I played the uh, the PS2 one, I think, was the first one that I played for the right, Evil Dead. Right, yeah. Uh, and the Spawn game as well. I don't know why they're <laughs> in the same space in my head. Um, but yeah, Evil Dead game came together a lot better than I think anyone thought it would, totally. and uh, it's very much recommendable if you're a fan of the IP. Uh, my number seven is Triangle Strategy. I still think that's the best written um, thing Square Enix have done in a long time, especially when it comes to RPGs. Um, that's not to discount or completely discard the likes of the Final Fantasy VII remake, but um, as a new like IP, and obviously they're kind of building on the Octopath engine um, to make this sort of more grid-based um, Final Fantasy tactics style thing. I just think they they create such a great world. Like they, the reason I love this is because it was kind of my COVID game. I sort of got yeah. it. I was always dancing around getting it, um, and then I ended up getting COVID, and I was like, okay, I've got at least a week at home. I'm just gonna get something big to get stuck into, and it became this. And I would massively recommend because it's on Switch. Um, Square Enix. Uh, like obviously a lot of people lambast Square Enix but they nail their demo stuff where in this game's case um, they give you it's like the first five hours for free like you can just it's the first three chapters which is a they're pretty meaty um, and it's I think it's the first three remember the first two but either way it's a lot of time game time 
Um, and all that, all that save transfer just goes across to the main game. And it's just, I think they nail that stuff really, really well. Um, but yeah, the way that they sort of mesh Final Fantasy Tactics gameplay and, you know, placement of your um, different, your party and, and party makeup and um, who works well with everybody else with a Game of Thrones style, um, you know, backstabs and resource, you know, like the, the kingdom is trying to look after different resources and who's uh, really got the power and, oh my God, this person just got backstabbed and now this person's going to do something. Um, I just think it's all really, really well written and they have a whole system in here about um, respecting like decisions that are made by the party and so you come to different branching paths in the main story where you have to decide what you want to do because you're playing as this dude called uh, Serenoa Wolfort who's taking over your old kingdom and you're sort of looking for advice from your party and so like, you know, you might, should we go betray such and such or should we go to this land and if we go over here then the, the, the royals are going to look down on us because they're expecting us to be over here. It's all very Game of Thrones-y. Yeah. Um, but the way that that stuff plays out mechanically is that everybody votes on what they think you should do um, anonymously and so you can talk to them before the voting begins to try and sway them in a certain direction and I just like the fact that it's sort of democracy is a playable thing right. I, just, I like that I like the, 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 the level of conversation you can have with people um, to sort of like branch the story in different ways and I think that when you pair that with you know, because then you have all these battles that kick off and you really care about who actually makes it through and, and what that means for the wider world. I just think it all comes together really, really, really well. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think it's getting anywhere near as much praise because it's not a Final Fantasy. Yeah. But um, when it comes to Square Enix, I know they're not the sole developer on it, um, but they are one of the, one of their main teams did put it together. Um, I just think it's immaculate. I think if you like Final Fantasy tactics, you like your Game of Thrones storytelling, you like all that power play stuff, um, and you like the idea of decision making and playing a ruler coming into their own, um, it's perfect. Like, I think that stuff is, it's just very, very well handled. Yeah, it sounds incredibly immersive. It's a lovely time. When it comes to that element. Like, I, it's uh, truthfully, it's probably not something that I would play. No. However, I do love the idea of, you know, your choices mattering, you mm. caring about uh, the decisions that you actually have to make in the game and those decisions having tangible consequences. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it might elevate it to the next level, Scott. I would recommend it if you are partial to the bit of the old grid-based strategy, which right. I don't think you are. I'm not. But you, if you like the likes of XCOM, Final Fantasy Tactics, whatever, yes. then it might be down your your hill, I was going to say. It might be down, down your road. Down your hill. Down your hill. Um, <laughs> um, your number six, please. My number six is uh, Gran Turismo 7. Really? It is, because, you know, this, this game has had a difficult uh, release, yeah. to say the least. Uh -huh. And I, I do think that it is disappointing, of course, what happened happened with this game post-launch, mm. where they uh, introduced updates that changed the economy, that uh, elongated the grind. All of that absolutely sucks. Yeah. However, if, I, if I'm taking it as a kind of core driving game mm. and looking at the version of it that I played, you know, like it is... It, it, I'm not usually into Gran Turismo. I think it's a bit of a... It's 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 my granddaddy's gaming <laughs> franchise. You know, it's very... Uh, Forces the hip young kid on the block. Totally, man. It's, it's, it's very tight. It's very... It does things the old-fashioned way. It has a very old-fashioned sensibility. Gear. It's yeah. it's top gear, you know. It's uh, it's it's like it's you you can look, but you can't touch in right. a lot of ways. Uh, however, this time around, that really worked for me. And I think it's because Gran Turismo Sport kind of acted as my entry point into the franchise as a whole, and Gran Turismo Seven, in terms of the driving, like refines what Sport started, mm. and on next gen systems as well. When you incorporate the Dual Sense controller, and uh, the kind of tactile nature of the driving is astonishing. Like the way yeah. the controller and the rumble and the feedback makes you feel like you're um, in that car itself, like you're in this machine <laughs> that is threatening to kind of 
of, you know, come apart if you go over 200 miles an hour in some cases. That kind of thrill I loved. I thought, you know, like the content in there with the different tracks and the kind of like challenges that you have to accomplish was very, uh, you know, robust. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's a game that I find myself going back to uh, that if even if I don't, you know, spend tens of hours with it at a time, mm-hmm. it's one that I love to jump in if I have a kind of night free and I want to put on a podcast, I'll listen to, listen to some music and kind of make some progress within that uh, title. You know, it was good enough to knock me off Forza Horizon 5, which I was <laughs> absolutely loving as well. And yeah, this was a big surprise, but obviously it comes with the big caveat of what happened post-launch with the yeah, monetization. Yeah. It was, it has it had a really weird launch. And yeah, for me, Gran Turismo, like I have that sort of legacy connection to it. Like I remember the original, I remember being blown away by it. Didn't buy GT2 and then GT3 was the one that was like, oh my God, look at this game. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a long time since I've got really into a Gran Turismo. And I had a good, I had like a good few hours with this thing. Um, but it, I did the opposite of you. It only made me play Forza, right? Uh, where it okay. just pushed me back towards the immediacy of Forza because I just looked at all the monetization side of it, all the um, the ramping up of the, the ability to get a really cool car in Gran Turismo because they want you to really earn that, which is fine. I get, I get the progression. Um, but Forza Horizon is just such a more arcadey, more immediate thing that I ended up going back in that direction. But GT7 is such a meaty, like clockwork mechanism of a thing where yeah. it's like all the cafe stuff and you're unlocking all these different things, um, and it just it feels hefty. I think the Gran Turismo should feel hefty like it's a legacy IP. Um, and this is one of the best ones in, you know, years or whatever. Totally. Once they ironed out how much things should be worth. Yeah. And not charging you 200 actual pounds to get an in-game car. It is going to be interesting to see how it stacks up against um, Forza Motorsport. Mm. Obviously, the uh, the more sim-focused racing uh, series that Microsoft has to offer. Mm. That's been announced. I think that's coming next year? Early next year I don't think they've got a... Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. It's, a big date. It's still a little while away because while I do like Gran Turismo 7, I think there are, you know, obviously a lot of areas that could be improved. Yeah especially when it comes to the, some of the environments. Look, a little bit last gen, you know, everyone's made fun of the NPCs uh, <laughs> around the tracks. Spider-Man. And what? No, it certainly didn't. Uh, so there are ways to improve the game, so it's going to be interesting to see what Motorsport can bring to the table and whether mm. it can dethrone GT7 as, like, the best driving sim that's currently Speaking available. of dethroning things... Come now- on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. At one point, this was my game of the year. And I wow. Was, I was doing a bit of a banter, but I was just like, this is so perfect and so gorgeous and so lovely. And then I was like, have a word with yourself. It's not game <laughs> of the year. And so it sort of got knocked down the, the wrong, but it'll be some people's game of the year because it's just so damn perfect. And that's Kirby in the Forgotten Land, mate. Dude, don't right? worry about it. I've given Kirby so much crap over the past six months. Little freak, you said. What, a little, I did. Yes, some, to be honest. If, 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 if those transcripts were read in court, <laughs> they would see me calling him a little perverted little freak. Yeah, but is. that said, I have honestly loved as being an outsider to see the joy that that game <laughs> brought you in looking at you in the office, playing that title, and just being constantly wowed by it. So, so for this one, I'm going to be a nice boy and not, you know, hurl insults <laughs> at the kid. And I just want you to tell me why this game rules. It's just immaculate. I mean, I, I keep using immaculate. And I save that word for stuff where every bit of the overall vision comes together. And it's funny because in Kirby's case, for the longest time, it was 2D. It was just side-scrolling Kirby. And I love it in the in the world right now. It's like every big dev. Bethesda, what if you could explore the entire galaxy? And everyone's trying to figure out all these different monetizable elements and whatever else. And Nintendo were just like, what if Kirby could go up and down, to be honest? What if, <laughs> what if he was in 3D, I guess? And uh, and it's the most obvious thing. And when they showed the initial trailer, where it was like you're Mario Odysseying Kirby, and Kirby is the initial copycat ability uh, character anyway. That they just have so much fun with it, and I think that it goes some places that I no one saw coming. Like yeah. there's a Dark Souls boss fight in here. There's a whole Dark Souls area where it's like big foreboding castle that comes out of nowhere, and it's very like this looks like a FromSoft area. And um, but it, obviously there's the core gameplay side of it that just is super responsive. The fact that you can just gobble up any enemy, take on their abilities, everything just plays very very nicely. It is very much a game that starts with age three and up. Um, but I think that the places they go only elevate it and there's not a wasted second in its overall, how well they deliver on that overall um, project goal. And that's just, that's another thing is that, and I'm, I'll just, I don't want to spoil this because people should get there, but this game's ending, it's why I opened the review with you are not ready for Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Right. This game's ending, um, one of the most ludicrous things I've ever seen. I can't believe they went there and I just, I'm not saying my jaw was on the floor, but I was just like, this is, you're pushing Kirby to such like <laughs> ridiculous... <laughs> I like heights, and it's the, even that it makes people like me say sentences like that, like "Oh my god, look what they're doing with Kirby." You're not. You have no idea. You're not ready. <laughs> like anyone who has hears my voice right now, uh, that game's ending and where they go is just the most anime ass thing that Nintendo has ever done with one of their most beloved characters of all time, and it's glorious. That's so exciting. It's ridiculous. Um, your number five, please, sir. My number five is Sifu. My number oh, five. Oh, Sifu's such a show. Is Sifu, and finally, I'm so pleased because my top five, I can recommend men without caveats. Mm. Everything that I've recommended so far comes with some kind of asterisk next to it. Not yes. Sifu, which I, for my money, is like just one of the tightest 
playing video games of the year. I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah. incredible, and I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. Obviously, pre-release, um, long-time listeners will know that Scott Telford was very into this game before <laughs> it came out, was really looking he forward to it. In Through Osmosis, I was too, but I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. It made me put down Horizon Forbidden West because I just wanted to play this game and get in its headspace. It's mm. one of those uh, titles, almost like a rhythm game, that once you're in the rhythm, yes. like it's, it's in you, you know what I mean? You're, you're going through the levels, perfecting them with this kind of like muscle memory, this like instinctual approach to the gameplay. And it had way more content than I was expecting, had way more variety than I was mm. expecting, and was just kind of a big, big surprise. And it's rare that I go into a game kind of expecting one thing and get another. And this was one of those, but what I got was better than what I thought it was yeah. going to be. I think as well, like it feels like, I mean, we, we've gone, we've mentioned this quite a lot in previous podcasts and stuff, just because we've talked about Seafood quite a lot. And we did when we first like played through that game, we, we did a lot of uh, wind up stuff on that too. But I just, I do feel like it's learning a martial art. I feel like because it's made by a team who are themselves martial artists and they consulted with a lot of martial artists that it feels like you have to employ the mentality of do this over and over again until you perfect it. But it does feel rewarding and it has a viciousness to it in terms of the animations that you don't get in the likes of um, like an Elden Ring or a whatever, like insert some insert a from software game here kind of thing where they want you to feel like a capable machine by the end of it. It's like, and especially like you said, you learn the muscle memory side of it and you go back through the levels that used to give you a hard time and you're just like Neo in the matrix, just blocking every single part of it and just destroying guys, nailing the um, the high score and figuring out the background story to it. It was the background story stuff um, that elevated it for me um, and I will get to where it is on my list as we get there. But yeah, Sifu is just, a, I've always just referred to it as just this sort of like flex, like this refined punch of a game and um, like a clenched fist of a game. And I just think that it, it, like, again, it nails everything it goes for. And I think that it's such a powerful game. Um, my number five is TMNT Shredder's Revenge, um, which just, oh my God, like, I don't think I've been that happy for the rest of this year. Just <laughs> every bit of this is, it's a Sonic Mania. Like, it's it's a full on, like, hey, remember this when you were a kid? Um, animation is sublime. The soundtrack is God tier. Like, shout out to T Lopez. Like, dude did Sonic Mania soundtrack, then Streets of Rage 4, and has now done um, TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Just some of the most upbeat, peppy, beautifully recorded um, positive jams that you could ever come across. Um, and I just I just loved it, man. Like, I drank that thing up. Like, it's just, I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, and it, it's better if you play with friends or it's better if you if you um, do some matchmaking with people online yeah. because you can play as all the turtles. Um, but it's still think, I still think it's great fun solo. I mean, like, you can obviously hop between everybody else, but um, it just plays so well. And they solve that issue that tons of 2D brawlers have where you're always trying to line up with the enemy and right. you're punching behind the guy or you're not grappling right or whatever. They free up all those, um, like, interactions so everything just comes together perfectly. And you can just love the music, love the animations, love the self-aware humor they have about TMNT as an IP. Um, and it's just great. Like I said, the animation, if someone goes down, you revive them with a pizza slice. <laughs> you can taunt and just, you're just laughing at enemies as you get a special. Then you devastate 12 more dudes in one go. It's just great. Two things go that on. I have to comment on here. First, I need everyone to know that um, since Scott started playing this game, and to be fair, James <laughs> Douse and Dan Durkin yes, as well. and Jules. And Jules. Uh, the TM, TMNT soundtrack has been echoing so throughout the offices. Album of the year. Uh, the, the hallways <laughs> of this office, and it has been very exciting to be a part of. Uh, secondly, who's your favourite turtle? Well, see, that's oh, well, see, so when, when I was a kid, it was Donatello. Yeah. I don't know why. I just, I think, because when you were a kid, you'd kind of just go off the color. Yeah. So I was like, oh, like purple color, like Donatello. But I did, like, I used to have a, a little flippy action figure of Donatello, and you could, you could pull him, like, to the side and then let him go, and he would cartwheel. And I right. thought that was really cool. 
Um, as I've grown older, uh, I've started to love Michelangelo because, see, I love that whole sort of old school surfer dude bro approach to stuff like that turtle in Finding Nemo. He was always right, great. yeah. And uh, Michelangelo is just that guy, like, oh, bonga, dude. And I was like, yeah, give me him. Like, especially in this game where he's busting out phrases all the time as you're devastating, dude. Um, and yeah, even when he gets knocked back, he's like, gnarly, dude. And I'm like, <laughs> it is gnarly, mate, yeah. And um, so that, but I finished the game as Raph, uh, as Raphael because right. he has the, the Ryu uppercut. Um, and his overall moveset, they're very similar movesets, but slightly different animations. But in terms of their utilization, it's very similar. Yeah. But I did grow to love Raph's combos um, just because he had the twin size and you could uppercut a guy and then jump up and do more moves. Yes. Um, so this is my way of saying mostly all of them. <laughs> um, I'm probably just going to stick with Donatello because he's the one I love when I was a child. Sick, thank you. That was How a about you? comprehensive uh, I know, I'm going to break him down. Well, the thing is for me, I've not, um, you know, watched the Turtles oh. in so long. And I'm, I'm, I kind of, I'm second guessing myself because... <laughs> Leonardo is a turtle, right? Yes, yeah, so he was the one the that swords, I didn't talk about, yeah. The blue uh, yep. headband. Twin swords. He used to be my favorite because yeah. twin swords, awesome. However, uh, in the years since, it has become actually April O'Neil is my favorite <laughs> turtle because she that playable. yellow jumpsuit owns. Uh, you, we had a whole April O'Neil, remember April O'Neil style energy in the office where yeah. it was James Styles going, remember April O'Neil? And uh, yeah, you can play as her too. You can also play as Master Shredder, Splinter, Splinter. even, who I always mix up in my old age. Um, but yeah, TMNT immaculately put together. Worth that word when I bust right. out the word immaculate. Um, but yeah, on Game Pass, go check it out. Um, what is your number four? My number four is... Ooh. The Quarry. Ooh. The Quarry. And Ooh. we did a big podcast on this a few weeks ago. Uh, in my opinion, owns. It yes. has a lot of jank, has a lot of uh, cringy dialogue. <laughs> but for me, as you know, the horror fan that I am and the kind of stuff I gravitate towards in the kind of movie sphere, The Quarry had all of the elements, to me, to make for a, just an mm. incredible... Horror experience. I've said that word You're a lot. I've overused it. A yeah. lot of people love the quarry. 100%. I was not one of them. I, I just thought, you know, when coming off Until Dawn, which obviously has a huge reputation now, this worked as a spiritual successor to that. Mm. I found the characters, the big ensemble, really engaging. I thought the performances across the board were really compelling. I liked where the story went and how kind of B-movie inspired <laughs> it got towards the end. And ultimately, the choices in the gameplay um, were things that I cared about. You know, mm. I cared about getting these characters through I found the set pieces to be intense and some of them to be quite imaginative as well and I just think in terms of gore which I, I, I know it's weird to rank a game in terms of gore but I, I like the kind of like uh, visuals of if you like being, seeing a head get bit in half I like, do well, like from back to front let's say rather than any other direction that's that's all in there absolutely you know you know one of the most defining images in the horror genre <laughs> is like I think from the descent where the lead character I think she's called Sarah mm. like emerges from the pool of blood and she's got like the blood all over yes. her face and she's looking like menacing because she's got something to do mm -hmm. this has so many people covered in blood doing that face <laughs> and it almost worked as a cheat code just for me to like it I remember but, uh, you saying that um, going in being like there's a lot of people covered in red light <laughs> in the same general that's like that's the best thing about it um, I'll not speak that much about the quarry because we did do a full on spoiler podcast thing where all my thoughts are in there and I've largely erased it from my mind since then <laughs> um, but yeah it's immaculately um, put together in terms of production I couldn't vibe like you said with the script I thought that was quite off putting but 
but um, it does tick those boxes if you can go with it. And it is easily one of the best like teen slasher horror games of all time. It's quite a small pool, true, um, but it's very easily in there. Um, I'd still recommend it to like overall people. It's just that I personally couldn't didn't click with it. Um, my number four is Pokemon Arceus. Now um, we've covered this quite a lot. I'll not spend too long on it because it's still a Pokemon game. But I do love how much of Breath of the Wild is in there in terms of just elongating and expanding what it is to go after a bunch of Pokemon. Um, which is to say that this is pretty much Pokemon Snap with standard Pokemon mechanics, where it's just, here's a big old place to go explore. There's various different things that need to be recorded in the Pokedex. So get out there, fight them, catch them, feed them stuff, um, and all that stuff will fill out your Pokedex as you go. Um, and I love that they took, it's not massive, but I love that they changed the combat. They didn't really take a risk with it, but they changed how fast and snappy it is. They finally got away from just how belabored the 1996 approach was, um, which they'd had for the whole time. Like if you've yeah. been playing Pokemon since the 90s, which I've been playing since day one, the, the pacing to a combat scenario has been the same for two and a half decades, um, down to the exact same text prompts, the exact same, you know, insert whatever you want in there. And so I really, really appreciated them changing that and speeding it up and making it so that you can just jump into a, in one of these environments and just hoover a Pokemon, fight them, do whatever, nice and snappy. Um, I've got like 120 hours or something in it. I tried to do everything, um, did finish it, but I haven't maxed out the Pokedex, but I just think it's one of the most immediate Pokemon games in quite some time. Um, and I love Pokemon Go and I love Pokemon Let's Go. I like those innovations. I like how much they're speeding stuff up. I don't need traditional Pokemon anymore. Right. Like it's been in my life for since I was seven. Like I just, I need you to do something with this. <laughs> and obviously the graphics massively suffered because Nintendo uh, just don't seem to let Game Freak breathe. But um, And they've got another game coming out later this year. Um, but I think that everything other than the presentation is absolutely stellar and one of the best Pokemon games in a very long time. That's exciting, um, man. So I absolutely loved it. Um, uh, my number three to get it out the way is Sifu. What is your number three? My number three is Tunic. Ooh. Tunic is like Sifu, uh, one of the other big surprises of the year for me because mm -hmm. I know this game got a lot of good reviews and I won't spend too long on it because we actually did a video over on the What oh, Culture yeah, Gaming YouTube channel mm -hmm. on why I loved it so much and why we really enjoyed it. Uh, however, as a kind of isometric old school action adventure RPG, I think it is immaculate. I think mm. the way it incorporates kind of meta video game systems into the story itself and the world yeah. itself is uh, great. If you don't know, uh, most of the items you get in the game come from a, an in-game game manual that you are piecing back together, which mm -hmm. tells you, you know, how to defeat bosses, what certain items are, you know. You, ability that you didn't even know you had. Yeah, the last abilities that you don't know you had because the game will tell you nothing otherwise mm -hmm. unless you collect those pages. And it's just a great love letter to the games that it is clearly inspired by. Mm -hmm. And the depth to its world is second to only Elden Ring this year, in my opinion. Oh. And yeah, even if you think that you might not enjoy this game like I would. It's not usually one that I would go for in terms of art, art style, even in terms of genre and subgenre. And mm -hmm. um, I'd recommend giving giving it a go. It's on Game Pass right now, and yep. I think it's coming to PlayStation and what have you at the end of the year. Definitely check it out because <laughs> it's it's awesome and it's definitely going to be. I think. Ever, uh, mainstay it'll my be top some five. people's game of the year. Yeah, it'll be some yeah. people's game of the year, 100% by the, the end. The thing is, like, with this, I feel like they didn't drop the ball with the marketing, but for so many people, they just looked at it and went, oh, it's, it's another Zelda clone. Like, it yeah. looks like uh, Kamiko that came back in, out in, like, 2017, where it's, like, top-down camera, Zelda-style puzzles, whatever. And they kind of missed out all that meta stuff, the extra layer to the stuff, the storytelling side of it, which I think, you know, should be in, I guess, the PlayStation trailer when they do more of that stuff leading up to launch, because there's way more to this game than you think, and especially in the combat as well. Um, it's very tight and can 
be very brutal. Like you struggled a bit with some of the fights, oh, yeah. which I think is worth highlighting because like you, we play a lot of really tight games and for a game to trip you up, I think is something worth celebrating or highlighting in itself. It's got some incredibly difficult bosses, especially yeah. like some of the late game areas. The final boss absolutely will mm. tank you. Uh, I'm never going to beat that thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't mean you specifically. No, but, but literally. Uh, I mean, also, I maybe you yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is, like I said, it's just got like this surprising depth to it, this mm. surprising complexity to it. And I would fully agree, you know, it is it is so much more than it appears to be on the surface. And I don't think that's overselling it. it I think feels... that lives up to what I just said. Yeah, it feels like it's this year's Death's Door, where it's like, right, it yeah. looks like a top-down Zelda, but there's way more to it. Um, and Death's Door, I feels like it occupies the same space where to some people it was their game of the year. Very, very tight game. Um, but to others, it's just sort of on the side. Uh, my number two is Neon White. Ooh. I continue to think this game is the most pristine thing of the year. And so it's, I just, it's just such a, I was going to swear there. It's such a good game. It's I, so well put together. Like, it's I, just immaculate. Like, I just, I keep playing it. I keep getting more levels. They keep coming up with new mechanics. And I don't know how many hours I'm in now, but I, uh, the game takes place over a 10-day period. And um, I'm on to about day, there's four days left. And um, you're counting down to this whole thing with your character being judged and whatever. So I'm counting down through that stuff. So I guess I'm past the half mark. Um, but they just have such a perfect set of systems. It's such a gamer's game. It's such a well-made thing. Um, and like I said, it's made by the dude that did Donut County, Ben Esposito. So um, there is quite a lot of, let's say, youthful character writing. I like that stuff. I like how animated is. Um, they, like, but I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, the dialogue's quite cringe. I think it's totally fine. I think it completely serves what it's going for. And I like the whole setup of a whole bunch of sinners trying to get into heaven. And then God being like, go kill some demons before I let you in. And um, make sure you get the right times, uh, speed run everything um, to get all the right um, the points and everything. And I think that goes very, very well with the persona style anime aesthetic that they have in between those levels where you're taking gifts and items that you find on the levels and then giving them to the characters that you want to know more about and um, because your character is amnesiac so they're telling you things that you did when you were before you died before you arrived in this um heavenly space or whatever but i just love the world i love the character art so much i think that it's just has such a great visual identity to it and then you get to the gameplay which is just titanfall 2 style feel to it like you know you can't run on walls but you have that sort of floaty kind of feel to it the titanfall does um and like i said it's just the way that you are using these cards that you pick up that are your weapons or you can burn them for abilities and learning how to precisely, you know, shoot two guys, burn that card, pick something else up, use that. Um, and the game only brings in, like I said, more mechanics, like ways to catapult you around the level. So you're like, oh my God, I can shave off like five seconds of my time if I plant this explosive here and just blast across the entire, every, all those three other guys, as long as I shoot them in midair, I'll still land in the right space on the other side of the level. And so stuff like that, I just think it is so well thought out. Um, and it's like, I don't know how big the dev team is overall, but it, ha it just feels like they had a very specific idea of what to make and then just went out there and just nailed it. I need to play this game. You this really is, do. This is like the, I mean, undoubtedly you talked about, you know, a lot of <laughs> great games so far yeah. on this list of yours. However, this is the one where I just feel like I, I, I need it. I, I think you'll devour it, it. In my bones because yeah, <laughs> I, I, by everything that you've mentioned, it just feels like something that will be up my street mm -hmm. and I'm excited to finally play it. And when we reconvene to do this in December, <laughs> see if it's as high because I suspect that that, going off what you mentioned, it might be, and I really hope mm. it, uh, it, it it hits the same for me as well. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm about four days in-game days off the end of it, and it's, it's very much starting to overlap a lot of the mechanics. I'll be like, okay, you've, you've become very proficient with this, so what if we threw this in and then do five things at once kind of thing? And I hope it doesn't overload itself in that way because every level has been very readable, every um, progression. You could see where you're like, okay, I could go that way, but I'll go this way or whatever it is. Um, and it has that really good balance of uh, mystery storytelling, character interactions, and the gameplay itself. It's definitely the gameplay that is the meat of
of why you should play it. Um, some people are just skipping the cutscenes just to get to the next level. Um, but I think it's worth saying that each level is like 30 seconds long. So it's just everything just goes and it's like nail the right time, go back in. Um, you know, the game even tells you like different routes that you didn't take or whatever as you get better times. So you're encouraged to replay levels, like rinse them dry kind of thing before you move on. It's very, very well made, Josh. Um, what's your number two? My number two is perhaps controversially for the wind up, uh, Horizon Forbidden West. <laughs> Because this is a game, Scotty. It is a game. It certainly is that I think I took for granted while playing it. Mm. And in hindsight, it has only grown on me more in a way that I didn't expect it to. I thought it would be one of those big budget AAA sequels that would be great in the moment. And then we kind of think, ah, it was all right in right. a few months. The exact opposite has happened. I kind of was like, this is pretty good mm. in the moment. And in the months since, I have stopped taking it for granted and realized just how much of, again, to crib a word, immaculate of an experience <laughs> it is in a lot of ways. Like, this is AAA open world gameplay um, perfected in a lot of ways yeah. in terms of the formulas that we have come to expect, the kind of structure of how the world uh, gives you and offers up the content and what have you. I just think being in that world is incredible. There are so many great side stories to pursue that have really fascinating characters, really fascinating outcomes. Mm -hmm. It looks so diverse and is full of uh, great visual variety as well. Mm -hmm. I think the mechanics that they've added from Forbidden uh, No Zero Dawn to Forbidden West are very welcome. Mm. The gameplay is tighter than ever. The story, yes, it, it isn't as good as it could be. However, everything else I think is is awesome. And uh, I think it's really good, Scott. I think the it's a good is, game, like, friend. It is. I mean, I I just, there was just something so unremarkable about it. And the thing is, I'm not going to go on about the negatives. Like, we've done plenty of videos and podcasts and stuff on it. And maybe we'll do this at some point later in the year when we do other conversations about most disappointing or whatever. Um, for me, it was just, it was kind of like a Ghostwire Tokyo. It was the PlayStation Formula 101, and I thought they needed more to it so it's not that they don't nail those aspects but it was just that getting a little bit bored with their approach where it was just here's more horizon in every possible direction but not something that had as much of a focused core as Zero Dawn did um, and I, I will take a more focused smaller game over a hundred hours of stuff to do right. and it's not that stuff isn't enjoyable and ex extremely well made um, but it didn't have a cohesive whole to me um, but like I said, it's not that it's not like I need I need a thesaurus another word than immaculate. Um, but it just is like especially on the graphical front, it's so pristinely done. Like um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, you know, it's to I would agree to an extent with some of the things you've said. Like it could mm. be more focused. It is a little bloated at times. However, playing games this year like. Dying Light 2, which are those <laughs> criticisms, you know, really crystallized. Yeah. It made me appreciate a game like Horizon Forbidden West uh, more, which mm -hmm. is a game that manages to go big, manages to go uh, for 100 hours with worthwhile content. It only slightly loses focus. To me, it is cohesive yeah. uh, or more cohesive, I think, than I initially gave it credit for, especially comparing it to other open world games this year. I'm like, that me really made me appreciate it more. And I think it's a, it's a solid sequel. And obviously my second favorite game of the year. The thing I will say about Forbidden West that I love the most is when it becomes Mass Effect 2. That they ah, never yes. talk about in any of the marketing stuff. And people don't really talk about that much with that game. But there is a bit, let's say, about the middle third onwards where you get a hub base and you get different characters that you're bringing back to that base. And they all have loyalty missions or some of them have loyalty missions. And it just has that, you know, I'm going to go out and do a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm going to come back to my hub, my hub world or whatever. And I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to bank some stuff. I'm going to check in on this character. And I was like, this is a Mass Effect. This is a better Mass Effect than Bioware have done since Mass Effect. 
Effect 2. Yeah. And I was like, that was one of the things that I absolutely loved about it. Um, but yeah, Forbidden West will continue to be a conversation, obviously for the rest of time, but more so this year. Um, number one is a very easy one, which we both knew when we both played it, which is Elden Ring. Elden Ring. It's just going to be Elden Ring. There's the, I would be amazed if anything kicks this off the top spot. Not even Kirby. Truthfully, I thought, I, I didn't know going into this mm. top 10 list whether you would have Elden Ring as number one. <laughs> so that actually is a little bit of a surprise to me. However, in the grand scheme of this year, it's not really that surprising, is it? I think this is a game for me, yeah. speaking entirely personally, that is going to go down as not only, you know, a game of the year, the game of the year, but like one of my games of the decade, yeah. one of my games of the past 10 years. It was one of those titles that as I was playing it, I thought this is something special. And in the months since, as I've devoured video essay <laughs> after video essay, shout out to Noah Caldwell Gervais's yeah. recent uh, deep dive into it. I've just thought like, man, this is going to be something that I talk about and think about for a decade. So I'm sorry if I'm still doing the podcast then because I will still be talking <laughs> about it. It is the rarest of rare games, which is that it not only lived up to the hype, but it surpassed it. Yeah. And they held back a few things. Um, I just, I, for me, the secret source of Elden Ring is citing how big the world actually is. Um, and I keep mentioning the fact that they do that in terms of like zooming out from the map and letting you re-realize over and over again just how big this play space is. But the fact that they have the whole hidden world underneath the map, the Nokron place that you go to, or the different ways that you can um, you know, find NPCs and find these different quest lines. And the fact that it largely, or nearly always, respects that and just sort of reflects it in the dialogue of who you've already met at that point. And I just think all that stuff is just so intricately woven, where it just feels like a Skyrim. It feels like this intricate tapestry of a game that you're unraveling or pulling out a thread on, and you realize just how much is there. And I feel like, it, especially in the modern industry, you can see the edges of a game's design so much, or you yeah. can see what parts were then um, picked um, to be repeated over and over again to pad something out. Whereas here, yes, you can eventually see some repeat dungeon designs or some repeat bosses, but they're very few and far between in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of what they've made. And it was just one of those games where you just, it's its masses of their craft unraveling what they've been working on. And it was insane. I read like only a couple of days ago that someone from From Software said their next game is almost ready or, already. <laughs> and I was just like, how, have, how are you doing this? And then, um, that was the thing. If I was going to point to anything that um, made it me, like you said, you weren't sure if it was going to be my number one. It was just that side of it where I was like, it is just an open, not just, but it is an open world Dark Souls. You are pulling from established formula. You are stitching together parts that we know are bankable that we know work whereas I personally love like all out innovation all out uniqueness or whatever and so it was one of those things where that was on one side of it but the reality of going through Elden Ring is it was up there with Death Stranding like yeah. and, you know, you dropping in and helping me beat a boss or me and you trying to help Douse beat a boss I say try because I couldn't do it <laughs> and then you helped him beat it and it's just all those little drop in drop out things and the way that they've added like the spirit ashes or whatever to help you as a single player and things like that it's just so well done totally it's so robust it's so big like you said and I think if we look I, well first off I mm. want every developer in the world to try and rip this thing off because if you take <laughs> even 10% oh, of its good ideas especially when it comes to the sense of discovery and play driven exploration mm. I think open world games will inherently get better if people you know look at those ideas and decide that they worked mm -hmm. however going through like the history say the past 10 years 11 years of open world games mm -hmm. I think the defining turning points are Skyrim in 2011 you got GTA 5 2013, mm. you've got Breath of the Wild in 2017, and now I think we've got Elden Ring. I yeah, think those are the big four turning points for this genre to kind of usher in new evolutions, and I, I hope 
that is true because Elden Ring deserves to have ramifications across this entire subgenre, and I hope <laughs> it changes things for the better and kills off that Ubisoft approach. I to, think that thing is let's hold your hand. Yeah, that thing is like flailing as it is. Like I mean, like the legs of Ghostwire and Dying Light just sort of been like, yeah, sure, they're, they're there if you want them. Kind of yeah. points to just how much people are done with this stuff. Um, and yeah, it's worth shouting out that like, yes, Breath of the Wild sort of showed there's a different way to approach an overall 3D space in terms of exploration. But Elden Ring is like, what if you took a series of full meaty single player games? and then shattered them all and connected all those pieces up across an open world yeah. and you make both sides of that coin as satisfying as one another. That's it. I think it was in um, Joseph Anderson's uh, analysis of the game where, where he said uh, like it's this isn't like Dark Souls 4 this is Dark Souls 4, 5 and 6 Literally, all together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it feels like that in, in its scope, in its content and that's like that's awesome. I, I'm genuinely astonished by how much they brought together. And we don't even touched on um, the fact that it's, like, a lot of it, the world was sketched out by George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of George Martin in here. There's a lot of Game of Thronesy writing in here, especially in terms of um, the family disputes and stuff. Once you dive into the uh, the item descriptions and find out what was really going on um, with the various sort of heads of the different castles and everything. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable how well it came together. And especially in an industry that struggles to get anything out the door. Um, I think it, it managed to land that stuff and then only surpass it. Um, but yeah, don't know how long we've been talking, but this has been <laughs> our games of the year so far. Completely subjective um, over on the windup. I've been Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. And thank you very, very much as I go into another outro, some sort of thing. <laughs> I will end this podcast. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.